0: She explained she had just opened a package that contained clear evidence her husband was being unfaithful to her. The timing couldn't have been worse.
3: This is the day before I fly away to go down to my son's wedding. I take the card down to my girlfriend and she said, Marie, you have got to be brave. You've got to be stronger than you've ever been in your entire life. You have to put a facade up and you have to go to your son's wedding. Hell or higher water, you can't miss your son's wedding. I knew that I was gone. So, anyway, I get back to the boat, and you have to love this part because I was about to sign my assets, the remaining assets of my super fund, shared with my husband, with an accountant, and he had all the paperwork. There. All right, that was my next meeting after my girlfriend. Anyway, I get back to the boat, the accountant's there, and I tell him I will not be signing the paperwork today and I want him to help me and I'll explain to him why. So he does the right thing by me, the accountant with Damon. Damon gets upset because he realises he doesn't own half the stuff now. And the accountant says, I've missed a piece of paper and without this missing piece of paper, it will be null and void. And how lovely of him to do that for me. So as I'm walking him off the marina and up to his car, I explain to the accountant what I've just found out. I go back to the boat and I say to Damon, is there anything you'd like to tell me? And of course the answer is no. And I said, I know you're lying. First I think um, the woman he went to see in New Zealand was the woman who was looking after him when he had the fall and when he first was trying to make contact with me. All right, that's the same woman.
0: It was all there, the red flags Marie had noticed from the start of her relationship with Damien.
3: And I go to my girlfriend's place and I ring her and say, you better put a bottle of wine out of the fridge. I need a drink. I've got something dreadful to show you and tell you. She gets there and goes, oh my God, Marie, Damon's never gonna tell you the truth about all of this. And I'm pacing up and down her house. And I said to her, would you do me a huge favor? Would you pretend that you got the letter? I'll try and find her contact details, which I was able to, and you phone up and say that you were on their boat and you saw their letters and find out what she tells you. Now you might say that was a bit sneaky of me, but I was married to a detective once. <laughs> so I'm there. I kind of write a message of what I'm trying to look for. And so she rings this lady and it goes to message bank, but the woman rings back. And my girlfriend says that she was on the boat, saw the letters open, and that she too had been going out with Damon. And that obviously Damon was being unfaithful to her and this other lady so they chatted for about 40 minutes and I get a message my god Marie you're going to die of fright so go somewhere and I'll give you all the info so in short they met at a picture show six months after we were married and from there they had a relationship at least once or twice a week when I was away with work he would spend a night with her He convinced her to take time off work, take my BMW, my BMW, go for a picnic and screw in the car. (laughs) I have to laugh, I have to laugh.
0: Laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep and you weep alone. Poet Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote that. Marie laughs more often than you might expect in telling some of these stories. How else could she endure it all? except with a sense of humor.
3: Oh, God, what have I done wrong here? So still, I haven't got on the airplane yet for my son's wedding. So I call Damon, and I tell Damon everything I know. And he goes and rings her. And she said, yes, and I've spoken with so-and-so and 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 so-and-so. Anyway, Damon leaves the boat again, and I ring her. And she said, oh, my God, don't tell me you're another one. I go, no, I'm not another one. I'm his wife. It worked out that he had three female friends and myself. And each of them knew about two of the three. Anyway, I get on the plane the next morning, go to my son's wedding, and the words to him were, you are still my husband. You will behave like a husband. This will not come up at my son's wedding at all. I don't care about your feelings. They are to be put with a bloody lid on them, same as mine. So we get down to Sydney for the wedding. We had everything arranged. All the clothes were all beautiful, like I'd bought a new dress in from New York. It was smashing. <laughs> and uh, uh, on the day, uh, I said to Damien, um, I would not see him until I came back from my son's house um, because I had to be there for photography and all of that. So I nick up to the hairdressers, oh, like all girls do, the hair, the makeup, the everything. And I go over to my son's house and um we're having photos. Well, they're having photos taking the wedding party's having photos taken. I was all excited. And it was a very, very emotional day. One, it was one day before my son that died birthday and who'd only been just gone five months. And I knew what I was going to give my son as a gift, and it was his brother's diamond cufflinks that I had given him for his 30th birthday. So the photographer asked uh, for me to do the tie, bow tie for my son, and he was taking photos. And I said to my son, I have something really, really special for you. So I reached into my pocket and I pulled out this little box and they were all cleaned and shiny. So it was a seriously very special moment between him and I. And he he cried, I cried, and he said, Mum, just couldn't have given them to me at a better time. So proudly he puts on the diamond cufflinks and he was very, very chuffed. The ceremony was just beautiful. And then we went off to the reception and like all parents at a wedding reception, we had duties to perform, greet the guests, show them where they were gonna be seated. Everything was going great. Damien was being as I thought he would be and should be. He was responsive, he looked smashing. He'd actually worn his wedding suit so he looked great even had shoes on and it was in the wedding when the formalities were over because for my son's wedding the emotion from my other son dying so close there were lots of tributes handed out and all of my son's mates at the wedding stood up and promised to be his brother well the whole Bloody audience, you know, the reception, got tears rolling down their faces. And uh, so they started off and everyone started talking again and it was great. Anyway, the dancing started.
0: It seemed like, despite the circumstances, the evening might go off without a hitch.
3: And Damon kept saying to me, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And I said, it has to wait. This is not your day. You have to wait. If he wanted to say something or do something, he was impulsive. It had to happen then and there, right? It really was. Anyway, when it was time to go, I couldn't find him. I walk into the bedroom suite and here's his clothes that he wore to the wedding on the bed and the wedding ring left. I have a whole room of people now and so they asked me what was going on. So I had to tell them, and my parents were there, I had to tell them what had happened a few days prior. My dad, um, he was wonderful. And my mum started crying and aunts were crying and all this sort of stuff. And uh, my dad said to me, I want you to ring the water police because if he's emotionally upset, he might try to self-harm. My dad was right. He tried to electrocute himself. But the police knocked on the boat. And when the water police got back to me, they said he was okay. He still was trying to tell me that he that the mistake that he had made with this woman. And I kept saying I didn't I couldn't deal with it on this day. Um, it was just too much for me to deal with. And I don't think he got a fair hearing because he had to go the next day. He would have known by now that my parents would have found out because he'd left everything. So that was another, um, what would you call it, an emotional blow that he wasn't the person that everybody was thinking he was. It got pretty ugly after this. I said something to him about the boat, and I said, you have no right to be doing this to the boat." You know, the boat does not belong to you. It belongs to me. I've always treated it as our asset, but it does belong to me. With that, he told me that he never completed the paperwork for the boat. Ah, so I, on the Monday morning, I was in a lawyer's office. This was the first time that I knew I was seriously in strife. So I see two lawyers. Uh, They're in the same chambers. I saw a family lawyer about where I stood as a wife with all this going on. And then I saw a Marine, what they call a Marine lawyer.
0: We reviewed family court filings related to Marie's legal entanglements with Damien, along with other legal documents, and spoke to one of Marie's lawyers. It gets complicated quickly with multiple lawyers and court cases. But the gist is simple. Marie poured a huge amount of money into refurbishing this boat. And it seemed like Damien felt that it was his, regardless of his own lack of financial contribution or whatever was written in legal documentation.
3: What happened was they've asked me that people should come into a meeting regarding the ownership because what they found out, the marine lawyer found out, was the boat was not legally in Australia. So the complications now become even greater still. He was a pathological liar. I just couldn't believe that I had trusted him, that I had fallen for the the deception and what was unfolding was the real person. So here am I in one of the most compliant areas in Australia with financial services and I have to be compliant or I can't have a job And here I am finding out that everything is illegal. So the lawyers help me and we get it all sorted out and immigration give us six months to get out of the country. This boat has to leave the country. Now, so you can imagine the stress that's now on me. I've got a husband that I can't trust, don't believe. I've got a boat that now I have to financially get everything in order. On top of this, there's an argument about the ownership of the boat still. Anyway, so these lawyers give me a transfer of sale. And it was at this stage, I have to find the pieces of paper where he, where I lent him all the money, where he said, I own 50%, then I own 100%. And he actually cited them and said, that is my handwriting. I was up for about 800,000 around that stage. And, um, we go back and we sort out the marriage and he says, I'm, you know, makes out it's in law school and so sorry. But I find out they're only words because he also had these other plans and all of this sort stuff. Anyway, the boat comes out of the water. We have to do a bit of work on the boat. We're staying at some friend's home at this stage when this all happens. And I said to him this one night, I've taken all these telephone calls today, and I don't understand it. People saying that the bills aren't paid when I've given you the money to pay the bills. And I said, you better come clean with whatever is going on. This was in front of our very dear friends. They're sitting there with their eyes as big as saucers, right? There was so much going on. So what it works out is that he's actually bankrupt. They're seeing him as bankrupt. There's 400,000 that I have to fork out. And I said, I am not forking out this money unless this transfer deed is signed. He was furious. My friend said that night to me, and I didn't believe him, you will not live through this, Marie.
0: It was the clearest warning Marie would ever get. But who really wants to believe that their husband is capable of harming them? Human nature is to think, not me. That happens to other people.
3: You have challenged him at every level. You have bailed him out and he hates that idea. And it's been done with hard work, money, your savings, all of that sort of stuff.
0: After this, Damien and Marie would go through a series of emotional, financial, and psychological battles.
3: I find out that was negotiating to sell the boat from underneath me. So this gentleman was telling me he's going to take over the boat in three weeks' time. And the boat's packed. We're living on it, absolutely living on it. And he wants the boat empty. So I had to call upon all these friends of mine because Damon's nowhere to be found because he's with this other chick and they're helping me unpack to the stage where I said to Damon, please don't come home anymore. Stay with her. Just stay with her. I have had enough. The lawyer takes over the negotiation with the future owner and he said to me, Marie, I don't think this is actually going to go ahead. Oh, God. It doesn't go ahead. Now I've got a boat that's empty. A husband who's sleeping with another woman. <laughs> I'm in tears, as you can imagine. Crisis snowed everywhere. So I make this huge decision that I'm taking the boat home to Australia. So I rang Australian Immigration. Don't forget, we've already had problems and it's now 18 months down the track. And, uh, and uh, they say, yes, you can come in, but it can only stay for three months, right? And I said, well, I've got to get my life sorted. I said, I'm a mess, I'm sick, um, it's through stress, all of this is Little did I know the stress was only going to get worse. So I arrange that I get a skipper and they're going to take me up and into uh, Christchurch so that we can leave to take the boat home. I'd employ three men to help me. So we do all of this. We sail into Christchurch, Littleton, actually. And they're standing at the dock where I'm about to meet immigration, our police. They told me the boat was under arrest, that I had stolen, that I, I had a very large case to answer for. It would be wise that I didn't leave New Zealand. And everywhere I went, I had to let them know where I was going. So I was in what they would call house arrest of the boat. The crew were looking at me going, what the hell is going on? We're all on the deck of the boat. And I look up where the yard is. And here is Damon watching this whole process take place. I was sick. I vomited. I thought, what else could this man do to me to try and break me? So I had then had to find a new lawyer. New Zealand courts deemed that I was the owner and that I owed Damon not one cent. What was interesting though, I was on the boat one particular day, I, w- I was off the boat. I was with lawyers again. And I came back. Now, don't forget, the boat is still under arrest. Even though the courts have deemed I own it, until it left New Zealand waters, I was deemed to be still abiding by all the stuff I do. I came home and here he was in the boat, in the boat. He had taken a machine, a screwdriver, and undone the front lock on the boat and let himself in. He was in there crying, looking dreadful, just dreadful. It was freezing. You have to understand it was freezing. It was August, July, August, in Christchurch. Every morning there would be ice on top of the boat. It was so cold. And now he had done this break and enter And I was suggesting, because I had a mental medical appointment the next day, I said, I think he should go. He's a mess. Damon agreed to go. He was told he was depressed, he was suffering with anxiety, and there was something else. And they had to check him out for personality disorders or something like that, but he was a mess. Now I became the goddamn babysitter. And I said, no, no, I don't want you on the boat. Go home to your girlfriend. Well, in the middle of the night, he snuck off the boat in a pair of shorts, a t shirt, don't forget it's freezing, and walked across the port hills back to Christchurch. I've had enough, enough. I was introduced to a guy called John, who now you know, John DeBoer, who was to be crew for me. And he was also a very qualified skipper. In
1: case anything went wrong. My name is John DeBoer. I met Marie probably about 10 years ago. She and her husband came to Littleton, New Zealand, in their yacht, Karim, And I met them through yachting circles in Littleton Harbour. Spent a little bit of time with them socially. And after they'd been in New Zealand for a while, they decided to head back overseas. Uh, Marie asked if I was uh, happy to help them crew the boat overseas. And at the time, I was a professional skipper, so I had no problem doing that. But, you know, it's pretty obvious that there's a little bit of uh, an acrimonious relationship between her and Damien at the time. And I think she just fought her way through that. He seemed a very capable skipper. Uh, He was certainly very capable in the maintenance side of boats. As as far as the skipper was concerned, as I got to know him better, my impression of his ability to actually be a skipper diminished somewhat.
0: This was a nuance of a story that came out after we spoke to experienced and less experienced sailors who knew Damien and Marie. Was Damien as accomplished and knowledgeable a sailor as he made himself out to be?
1: There's a, a lot of mistakes he made uh, at one stage were coming out of Littleton Harbour. Um, he came out of Littleton Harbour, completely the wrong side, out of the moles. If there had been vessels coming the other way, we would have been on a direct collision path with him.
0: On a trip where John was on the boat with Marie and Damien, another incident raised questions about Damien's sailing methods.
1: We
3: take off out of Christchurch. We hit a bit of a storm and the boat's taking on water.
1: So heading up the coast, we struck some pretty rough seas and we started taking on water. Now, it appeared that the hatches on deck had been left open and Marie was quite concerned, rightfully so, and uh, started talking to Damien about that. Damien was totally unconcerned about it he was reading a book and he kept on reading his book. The rest of us sort of had to deal with this uh, ingress of water coming into the boat. John DeBoer openly says
3: to me, you left it open. I said, is the sail locker shut?
1: You've just been there. And you said, yes, I shut it. So overall impressions weren't that great. He was definitely quite charming. He came across as quite a knowledgeable sort of a person. You know, he he was quite self-assured. He made a lot of friends in Littleton, but you know, the friends that he made were not on that same level as myself being a professional skipper and being able to judge his sailing abilities.
0: Damien and Marie ultimately sailed to Vanuatu. Why was Marie still willing to be around Damien? In psychology, there's something called the sunk cost fallacy. It refers to the tendency of human beings to continue a behavior because of previously invested resources, even if the costs overweigh the benefits. Marie had invested everything, her heart, her money, her entire life, into this marriage with Damien and continued on with him to Vanuatu. Comprised of 83 islands, Vanuatu is a nation about a thousand miles east of Australia with a total population of around 300,000 and a police force of only 500. There are many islands of Vanuatu with no police presence whatsoever.
3: Anyway, We get into Vanuatu and um, I make sure I sign off with the authorities this time so there was no confusion with Damon as to the ownership and all of that sort of stuff. I get asked to go to work at a little school. I go in to help out with all these little children, beautiful children, and uh, all was well. Was great. I was enjoying a job. It was fun, and it was all legal. <laughs> and uh, so I, you could see that I was blossoming into this new uh, creative role. And in March, uh, there are a few more arguments started about his lack of work and not sharing his funds and all of that sort of thing. Anyway, it was mid-March. And I kept noticing I wasn't well, but it wasn't ill, like you would normally know ill. So I kept putting it down to that maybe something I ate. So I changed what I would be eating for lunch. Because um, I was at school, i picked pick food up thinking, okay, it might not be as sanitized. And I would find with that when I'd come home in the afternoon, because he would keep me waiting for hours, I I was losing my energy, and so Damon would start cooking the evening meals. And I was really thankful for that. But by one o'clock in the morning, I'd start vomiting, and I'd have massive headaches. I'd get up and vomit again, and then it would go away, and I'd go back to sleep. This went on for maybe 10 days, 12 days. And I noticed now I'm starting to lose weight and I'm noticing that I'm starting now to get pains in the abdomen and I'm thinking I've got a bacterial problem. It was one Saturday morning, I was so sick the night before, I had rygors, you know what rygors are, it's when you shake and you, you can't control and you, you're a bit hallucinating and all of this sort of stuff. So I said to Damon, would you take me over? I need to go and see a doctor. He said, Oh, you don't need to see a doctor. I don't think you need to go. And I go, No, I'm getting sicker. And he goes, No, you don't need to go. So we had a bit of an argument. I said, I've already set the appointment up. I'm going to the doctor's. So I get into the doctor's surgery and he takes a look at me. And he said, I'm going to do some blood tests. I'm going to I want a urine test. And I want, and if you can go to the bathroom, I need you to go for a stool test. He noticed that my blood pressure was really high. My pulse was irregular. And I said to him, I think I'm going to faint. And so he gets an assistant to come in and they lay me down. And they're running around getting all these tests done because this was the doctor that had his own lab and everything. He came out and he said to me, I'm sorry, Marie, I'm admitted you into hospital. You're really sick. And he said, I need you to be here for four hours. I'm going to take stats for you and all of that sort of stuff. Anyway, as this four hours is going on, I'm getting sicker. And he then sits down and starts talking to me. He's asking what I do at daytime. Is there anyone that doesn't like me? And I'm going, why are you asking me these questions? He said, I believe you've been poisoned. There's toxins in your blood. His toxins in your urine, and there is also in the stool. He said, who cooks for you?
0: It should be the rock bottom of this story. But Damien would soon prove to Marie how far he would go to get what he wanted. Next time, the conflict between Marie and Damien intensifies, and the danger to Marie escalates even further. That's next time. Dead in the Water is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Mitas, Caitlin Brown, and Dan Benemar. Reported, lead produced, and written by Dan Benemar. Edited by Nick Messidi, Nick Shope, Jackson McLean, and Andres Coca. Narrated by Tony Dalton. Original music by Darlis Gonzalez. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or anywhere you're listening. And subscribe now for future episodes.
2: When 27 year old Gretchen Fleming leaves a West Virginia bar with a former police officer on a winter night in 2022, she's never seen again. Diligent investigators close in on an ex cop with an unlikely story and an unsettling reputation in a recent episode of the unsolved true crime podcast, Last Seen Alive. Last Seen Alive is a true crime podcast. Researched, written, and hosted by crime analyst Leah Owens. Cases covered include disappearances, homicides, and suspicious deaths. All of them unsolved, and all of them in need of tips from the public. Recognizing that the right piece of information can sometimes be the difference between a cold case and resolution. Last Seen Alive exists to bring public awareness to cases that need it. Listen to Gretchen's story, and more than 100 other gripping mysteries, as told by a working crime analysis professional. Find the last scene alive wherever you listen to podcasts.